0: Wretched Radio begins in 3... Two,
1: one. White privilege is just an acknowledgement that our world is uneven. We live in a country that's unequal.
2: All human beings share solidarity. All of us are made in God's image equally and therefore worthy of dignity. We're all ruined and rebellious against God and therefore calls us solidarity in sin. and We all need the same Savior.
0: It's time for Wretched Radio with Tom Friel. You know, I was having a conversation
2: with a friend of mine about this yesterday. We were talking about uh, how complex the human mind is, yeah. and how complex life and society is. Oh, yeah. But yet, there's no real management book. No, like there's no real, there's no document what? that shows you this is the optimal way to exist, oh, and these me. are the pitfalls of existing other ways. Oh,
1: this is Wretched Radio. That was Joe Rogan, apparently unaware that there is a book, an owner's manual, we call it the Bible, that instructs us in all of life and godliness. Joe Rogan, apparently not aware that the pages of the Bible, written by God himself through human instruments, is everything you need to figure it out and to answer the questions that, Until recently, we're pretty much settled. Like, what is a woman? Duh. What is a man? Without the Bible, I'm telling you, the world will continue to flounder around and trying to sort things out because they realize there's just something wrong here. Let me take you to... Gentlemen's quarterly. No, I don't have a subscription. It was sent to idea at retcha.org asking the question, do you need to visit the confident man ranch?
2: Saddle up your
1: horses. That is how they teach men to be confident men. Saddle up your horses. We're going to, we're going we're gonna, to Do horse whispering. We're going to listen to the animal and learn life lessons. For instance, the author of this really long article in GQ about the confident man ranch describes getting on a horse for the first time. The instructor, a she at the confident man ranch, told him, hey, don't let your he- your horse's head dip down into the grass all the time. He's been eating too much, so if he pulls it down, you got to pull it back up. And he found himself incapable of controlling the beast and feeling so inadequate. When the horse whisperer woman said, do you expect to master something on your first try? Oh, life lessons from the Confident Man Ranch. They laugh at us because we run to a 2,000-year-old book that has shown itself (laughs) to be profitable millions and billions of times. And yet, GQ would point us toward the Confident Man Ranch where we learn life lessons from a horse. How do we know how to behave as women and as men, you got to go to the owner's manual, and so it is. An article in the American Reformer did just that asking the question, "Are you a gentleman? We are in the midst of a whiplash, another one in our culture. You've got feminists who are screaming you you you've got to be non-toxic, in other words, men basically need to be women. And you see society responding to that, and you see the church imbibing that worldview. Mm, Telling men to not be so well-confident, certainly not strident, Uh, don't ever contend. You need to be gentle. Well, that's an interesting way to view it, but the question is who gets to define what it means to be a gentle man, and the answer should be the Bible. Our answer shouldn't be a response to the world, and furthermore, there are other evangelical groups in responding to the feminist mantra that men should basically be women who are trying to embrace some sort of a masculinity that is almost a caricature of what it means to be a man. How do we know? How do you sort it? The answer is you go to the owner's manual. He tells us, not a horse uh, and, and not a podcast by an unbeliever. This article took a tour through the Bible where we see the the concept of gentleness and meekness every place and we see evangelicals embracing that uh, calling for a softer center a more thoughtful approach being less strident so what does it mean to be gentle jesus taught blessed are the meek gentleness it's a part of the fruit of the spirit galatians 5 God exhorts us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with humility and gentleness. Uh-oh, it's becoming overwhelming. We're supposed to be gentle people. Put on as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and gentleness. The man of God must pursue Gentleness. First Timothy six. Peter tells wives, a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in God's sight. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness, be known to everyone. So, what does it mean? We turn to the Bible. This was this was some good work. Isaiah eight six. The waters of Shiloah flow gently, slowly. So gentleness is a gentle stream, not a violent torrent. It's not surging rapids. Gentleness is placid, kind of calm the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and stand on the Mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed and a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke in pieces. The rocks, you know, this after the earthquake, of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, a gentle whisper, gentleness, therefore is like a soft whisper. It's not a huff and puff, violent wind or an earthquake. Gentleness is like a soft whisper, and now you're starting to think, uh uh-oh, this is going to be a push toward being really soft and mushy. Hang in there. King David ordered his military commanders deal gently with Absalom, which, by the way, is a qualification for an elder, not violent, not a bully, but gentle so violence is intentionally using physical force to hurt a bully does that gentleness is like a soldier dealing mercifully with an enemy so gentleness is not like violence ezekiel 17:22 i myself will take a sprig from the top of the cedar i will break it off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. So the word for gentle there is tender, referring to the twig. So the concept of gentleness, as defined by the Bible, is how God treats a tender twig, carefully handling a tender branch, nurturing it so it can flourish. Gentleness is not like breaking a twig. It's a uh, gentle tending, nurturing sort of approach. A soft answer, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. So what is gentleness? It's a soft word. With patience, a ruler must be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Gentleness is like speaking softly and patiently in order to disarm or persuade. When Paul appears before Felix to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. So gentleness is like a disposition that's kind and generous and gracious. It's not being unkind, ungenerous and ungracious. Now, when the south wind blew gently, this is an axe. So it's, gentleness is like a refreshing, pleasant, helpful breeze, not a hurricane force wind. Are you feeling the weight of this? Gen- gentleness is described really delicately, doesn't it? And so you might be inclined to think, whoa, so I need to just be a passive Passover, pa- pushover. That's. What <laughs> I guess a passive Passover would be when the lamb eats the person. I guess something like that. Is this what it means to be a gentleman? Just steamroller right over me. So how do we define gentleness? It's a virtue. It's a quality in a a, a person. 2 Peter 1.8. And we're to be growing in gentleness. You express the virtue of gentleness when you treat a person with tender kindness. Friendly, generous, considerate. But expressing kindness alone is not gentleness. You must do it tenderly with compassion and sympathy. And now you're thinking, hold on. This doesn't feel right that a guy is just supposed to be namby and pamby. And you're right in your observation for two reasons. Number one, the Bible. It it talks about other attributes. And it also talks about there are times to display certain characteristics, even though you possess all of them. And second, doesn't seem to make sense it doesn't resonate with us wait i'm just supposed to be that that's the only thing i'm supposed to be i'm supposed to be a sissy pants no so what does it look like next on wretched radio ah some good news two encouragements from the tomorrow clubs they have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in eastern europe but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at TomorrowClubs.org slash Ratched. TomorrowClubs.org slash Hey,
2: hey, well, October is here. That means pumpkin spice everything, everywhere you look. Plus, that also means football season is in full swing. Oh, and of course, the Devil's Day is coming up. That's right. Halloween is coming up. And I don't have to tell you that sugar hype kids are going to be coming knocking on your door, whether you like it or not. So you better be prepared. We've got a way to help you send them soaring higher than any cavity induced candy you could ever give them. I'm talking about giving them gospel booklets from Wretched. You can give them the treat of all treats this Halloween, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't have to skip the candy if you don't want to. No, you don't have to. You can actually include it with the gospel booklets, but gospel booklets are on sale right now in the Wretched Store, as low as 99 cents per booklet, now through the 25th. And you'll want to order by the 25th, so you'll have them in time for the Devil's Day. That's Halloween. Get them before they're gone at Wretched.org.
1: Wretched.org. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds. 54,000 babies were saved. 69 ultrasound machines were placed. 10,000 people responded to the gospel.
2: I was very unsure of what I was doing when I came in. And by the end of the appointment, Rosemary had talked to me. She had actually prayed with me because she had asked me, like, do you know about Jesus? Because I was telling her, I don't feel like God's going to Forgive me for this
1: one. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org/slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched.
0: Important Dates in Christian History 1735 The Great Awakening under Jonathan Edwards stirs the American colonies with many conversions and individual returns to heartfelt faith. Because of this awakening, a number of divinity schools were founded, including Princeton, Dartmouth, and Rutgers. This is Wretched
1: Radio with Todd Friel. Sorry, but I got to know What is Stephen Curtis Chapman sound like twenty five years later? I Quite good, actually. wretched radio what does it mean to be a man how do we know how to act in a rather conflicted world even inside of the church should men constantly be squishy and tender and downright sissified and the answer is no for two reasons the bible and our intuition if you are to be a gentle man always let's just say like a how how a how a gardener would t- treat a tender twig you're like a peaceful stream you always speak an encouraging word that helps and uplifts and somebody breaks into your house hi criminal tell me about your childhood no no i'm gonna hey What are you doing? Now, that doesn't sound gentle, does it? So how do we harmonize the multitude of biblical admonitions that we are to be gentle, and yet we're still supposed to be strong? We're supposed to be a protector. We're supposed to be soldiers. Whoa. What we see happening in the church is an adopting of the the feminist mantra that says men basically should be women, and that's so we got to sand down all of those rough edges. And to be clear, there are some edges that do need to be sanded off, because men indeed have a proclivity to be more boorish than women are. Nevertheless, they want they just want us to be well shaped like a woman in every regard, emotionally, physically, verbally. And the Bible actually affirms gentleness, but that isn't all it tells us about what it means to be a man. We have to go to the Bible because gentleness, by definition, actually requires strength and humility, strength and softness. And you go, wait, those don't don't seem to go. They do go together because you can't be gentle unless you have strength you you because you're exercising something you're restraining yourself from behaving in a stronger way that's what it means to be gentle i'm holding back i've got the strength i've got the power i'm just not using it because this moment doesn't call for it and yet we know there are other moments when we are called to be strong you can you imagine even though most of the definitions we just heard about gentleness were from the Old Testament, can you imagine say David's mighty men going into battle? Excuse us, so sorry, I know it came out here like for a bloodbath, but just wondering, mr. philistine, um have you been eating well, getting enough rest? We're gentle, we care no, they, they became warriors. So that doesn't, however, still help us totally because gentleness is supposed to be an attribute. It is supposed to be a fruit of the spirit. And so you think, well, then I should be gentle all the time. And the answer to that is a careful yes and no. Yeah, your, your disposition should be gentle. In other words, you have yourself under control. Whether it's your members, your tongue, your thoughts, you got them under control. That's gentle. And that's the case all the time. But that doesn't mean we behave like that all the time. Because we're called to do other things. David Mathis, quote, gentleness is not the absence of strength, but the addition of virtue to strength. Gentleness is often used as a positive spin for weakness, but gentleness in the Bible is not a lack of strength; it is the godly exercise of power. It does not single signal a lack of ability but the added ability to steward one's strength so that it serves good life-ending ends or life-giving ends rather rather than harmful ends because we want strength, don't we? So gentleness doesn't disqualify strength, it complements and it guides and defines our strength, and that requires wisdom, and that means we need to really be thoughtful. You enter into a situation, whatever it happens to be, it's home, it's work, it's society, neighbor, how are you going to act? Well, your disposition, your face should be that of a gentleman. It requires wisdom, though, to know when you should not act gently. There are just certain time, and we get this, don't we? We understand that there are just some time. Somebody, somebody. Okay, here you go. You're a police officer, and that creeper who took the nine-year-old girl. Praise God, she was found apparently safe and unharmed. Takes a nine-year-old girl. Uh, right from underneath the family's nose on a camping trip. And let's just say you're the police officer and you see the dude and he's got the little girl. Excuse me. Um, hi. <laughs> you look so unkept. I wonder when was the last time you had a hot bath? Because maybe just getting cleaned up in a shave would be so helpful to you. And you go, that's just stupid. And I agree with that. You want the, you want the cop to tell him to stop and to do what is necessary to apprehend a bad dude. And you would say, well, that's not being gentle. He's not a gentleman. Yes, he is. We are gentle by nature, growing in that fruit. But that doesn't mean any other attribute gets kicked to the curb. In some situations, this is that article from the American Reformer. In some situations, it is sinful to be gentle. If a violent man breaks into your home, threatens your family, that's not a time to be gentle. That's a time to be aggressive and confrontational. Is the ideal man always like Mr. Rogers? And the answer is no. And we we get that, don't we? That dude was a hero. Look at how brave that individual was. Some people have gutted the biblical virtue of gentleness to mean universal niceness, Uh, that's not right. It's our disposition. We are a peaceful person. We are gentle, but that doesn't mean that we never exercise strength and flex a muscle. You treat a kitten with gentleness, but if a pit bull is attacking your child, no. In fact, people would look at it and go, what's the matter with you? Why, 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 why? Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you go to get after that thing? We are strong gentlemen by nature and temperament. But strength comes to the front when called upon, just like all of the other virtues. So what does it mean to be kind to everyone? It means our general posture should be friendly, generous, considerate, but it doesn't mean that you should be friendly to a violent criminal who is attempting to molest your wife. What does it mean to be gentle toward all people? This is from 2 Timothy 2 and Titus 3. It means our general posture is to be humble and wise, to show tender kindness to others in the right setting. It doesn't mean a pastor, though, needs to be really... I know... You, you want to teach the shack, and oh, I understand the need to hear extra biblical revelation. And if you, if you really feel like bringing in Benny Hinn, that's fine too. You go, whoa, 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 whoa! You're not contending earnestly for the faith. You're not rebuking. You're not exhorting. Let's not fall into the trap that so many aren't evangelical Christianity. Let's not ignore what it means to be gentle. We want to cultivate that because that isn't our typical bent. And it is true. It tends to be more of a feminine, a female attribute. We want to cultivate this. We need to. But not at the exclusion of everything else. What does it mean to avoid quarreling? We shouldn't squabble about trivial stuff. Shouldn't fight. Uh, Some things are worth fighting for, however. What does it mean to correct your opponents with gentleness? It means that when you're trying to help an opponent see the errors of their way, you do so gently. But sometimes you need to protect the flock and speak out loudly or tell somebody in your church, stop. this! No, this has to stop. Does that sound gentle? No, it doesn't sound gentle. But the individual is still a gentle man because he is still keeping himself under control and exercising strength when called upon. And for the rest of us, a man should be ready and prepared to go into aggressive protector mode at full strength. When necessary, but gentleness should be your default mode. Your character should incline toward that virtue, but it doesn't mean that you must always, and without exception, express gentleness toward all people. The Bible tells us how to be gentle men. This is Wretched Radio. Books of the Bible.
0: The book of Daniel is about one man who submits to God above all else and God's faithfulness to his people in all circumstances. Daniel's prophetic visions teach us that God raises up and tears down kingdoms. All earthly kingdoms will pass away, but God will establish an everlasting kingdom. This is Wretched Radio with Todd
1: Friel. Ufta, that's right, I said Ufta. What a nasty father. time and it's an ugly one about a pastor this is wretched radio the sun was bright and shiny on a wondrously beautiful day it seemed impossible that any pain could disrupt the splendor Kids were running, adults were laughing, birds singing, and palm trees were swaying in the balmy Florida breeze. My neighbor's yard was jammed with kids and sprinkled with adults. I was standing amid a crush of activity when my daughter came skipping, literally skipping around the corner of the house. The moment our eyes met, a wide smile opened on her face, and she started running toward me. She was moving quickly with a bright face, But my face was twisted and angry. I opened my eyes wide with fury and screamed in a harsh and scary voice, Chloe, stop! Turn around! Go away! She stopped, exchanging her bright smile for shocked fear. Apprehensive, she started to move toward me again when in an act of angry repetition, I shouted, I mean it! Go away! I was not kidding, and she knew it. Tears filled her eyes as she obeyed, turned around, and walked away in painful and confused rejection. Nasty, Dad. Hold on, uh that... That father is the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. What kind of a horrible man would do something so mean toward a child he presumably loves? May I ask you a question? Are you waiting for something? Are you hoping for better health? A different relationship? a particular person to come your way, some sort of financial advancement, a vacation, a new car, a new house, a change of scenery, something you're waiting, you're growing weary, and maybe you're asking the question, why, Lord, why the delay? Let's take a look at another story from the Bible. It's the story that no doubt you've heard more than once. Perhaps you've heard sermons on the story of the resurrection of Lazarus that featured the resurrection of power of Jesus. Amen to that. The simple faith of two women who are recorded in the pages of the Bible. Check. That's a perfectly nice sermon. But did you ever hear a presentation on the death of Lazarus that focused on the love of Jesus Christ in your waiting. Heath Lambert, the man who yelled at his daughter on a lovely Florida day. Do they have any other kind of days in Florida? Okay. He might, he didn't mention the humidity, so not full disclosure in this book, which is called The Great Love of God. I was reading this on an airplane. Believe it or not, <laughs> from Florida (laughs) over the weekend in preparation for Bible study on Wednesday night. And I got to tell you something, Heath Lambert's handling of the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. It just doesn't get more pastoral than this. He's dealing with the question that chances are pretty good. You either are have, or certainly will ask Lord, If you love me, why am I waiting? Why am I suffering? If God protects his people, then why do those he loves and promises to protect experience so much pain? And he turns our attention toward Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I have to confess to you, when I started reading it, I went, really? We're going to... Just answer the question. Huh? Huh? Get to a theodicy. Explain the issue of evil, which is all good. And we'll be doing that in Bible study, by the way. But I stayed along for the ride, and wow, the reward was amazing. Consider the excruciating experience of death for a moment. If you've ever sat at the bedside of a loved one who is dying, it's less than fun. You 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 watch somebody that you care for devolve, and and you 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 know what is imminent, and yet you 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 want to somehow stall it. You don't want that to happen. So what do you do as time passes and life ebbs away from a loved one? You grieve. It's sad as the individual grows sicker, your grief grows greater, and then there's the grief. When you have to say your final goodbyes, hold on, it gets compounded when the end actually happens. And you weep, and you sob, you heave. No different for Martha and Mary. Put yourself in their shoes, and maybe you don't have to imagine very long what that is like, because you have experienced the death of a loved one. Jesus finally shows up and they ask a question. You say, they don't ask a question. They make a statement. Yeah, they make statements, but they're definitely questions. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. <laughs> you can hear the question. Where Where were you? What What took you so long? They both ask the question. This is from Heath Lampert. There's an important lesson in this for us as we ask our own questions of God during pain and loss. In the throes of suffering, it's possible to ask the same questions from two very different perspectives. Martha and Mary knew Jesus. They loved him, wanted to trust him, and they couldn't understand why Jesus acted as he did. In their struggle, they went to their friend and asked him why, and you can do that too. Lord, why? Why is this happening? Help me to understand. Help me to get it. However, there were other people at this scene that were asking the same question. His enemies, they wanted to know why. Why, why. why would he be, What this is the great teacher, huh? Didn't even get the timing right, huh? That's not the way we want to approach God. When we question God, interrogate him, accuse him, we're acting like his enemies. But it's okay to ask questions as a friend. And then we get to the real reason that Jesus delayed, because he loved them. You say, wait, hold the phone, Henrietta. Jesus delayed because he loved them. That's what the text says. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus, our sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Wait, <laughs> what? because Jesus loved them he delayed heath lambert writes love does not always require urgency sometimes love requires delay are you waiting on the lord from the book when we see that jesus lo- that jesus loved lazarus by delaying We don't need to wonder at it. Instead, we should be excited about the good thing he is going to do to show his love and power through Lazarus' suffering. That excitement will pay off as we see that good thing Jesus had in mind for Lazarus and his family was beyond anything this grieving family could have dreamt. Don't know if you caught that first line. Because Jesus loved them, he delayed. (gasps) That should cause us to go, oh, what's he going to do? Oh, because he loved them, he's going to do something good. And then, of course, we see the death of Lazarus, and we get distracted from the import of the story. This is a story about Jesus' love in delaying, installing, in not doing what people would have preferred that he had done. Just. Make him better, Lord. We know that you could do it. Make it better. But because he loved him, he he delayed. And then we know the story. Lazarus come out. And he did. We must pause here. This really is the low point. If you know nothing of this story, your familiarity might keep you from experiencing the moment the way the original audience did. Jesus dripping with tardiness, stands among a grieving family and gives orders to open the grave. Overwhelming them with the fresh smell of a rotting corpse, he screams into the tomb that the dead man should do something that dead men don't do and come out of the tomb. His behavior looks cruel, insensitive, untimely, inexplicable, even insane. And that is how the crowd would have received it. one wonders if you and I don't have the same response today God promises good things to his children and yet it doesn't happen in our timing and maybe just maybe we've looked at him questioning him like an enemy perhaps the rest of the story will change our perspective next on Wretched Radio so you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches internationally? Well then, we'll let Paul Washer convince you. You
2: have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word. When we support a man coming out of TMAI, we know not only that he is properly trained, but we know that he will still be
1: supervised. Would you please join TMAI, the Master's Academy International, in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe. It's a magnificent ministry, and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world.
2: Hey, hey, well, October is here. That means pumpkin spice everything, everywhere you look. (laughs) Plus, that also means football season is in full swing. Oh, and of course, the Devil's Day is coming up. That's right. Halloween is coming up. And I don't have to tell you that sugar hype kids are going to be coming knocking on your door, whether you like it or not. So you better be prepared. We've got a way to help you send them soaring higher than any cavity-induced candy you could ever give them. I'm talking about giving them gospel booklets from Wretched. You can give them the treat of all treats this Halloween, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't have to skip the candy if you don't want to. No, you don't have to. You can actually include it with the gospel booklets, but gospel booklets are on sale right now in the Wretched store, as low as 99 cents per booklet, now through the 25th. And you'll want to order by the 25th, so you'll have them in time for the devil's day that's halloween get them before they're gone at
1: wretched.org Sorry to ask you to do some math, but this is math that is going to make you very, very happy. Listen to this one testimony of a woman who chose life.
0: When I found out I was pregnant, I felt like I was being pushed to get an abortion. My papa's exact words to me "Where well, this isn't a birthing center, find somewhere else to go. And I came in and I met Melody and it was this instant connection and I told her what I was going through. And it was kind of like having an instant friend, and instant family.
1: Take that one testimony and multiply it times fifty-four thousand two hundred and fifty-three. And what do you get? The number of babies that were saved because you have been supporting pre-born centers around the country. Would you please consider helping us grow that number by providing ultrasounds? $28 per ultrasound 80% of the time saves a life at preborn.org/slash wretched
0: important dates in christian history 1206 francis of assisi renounces wealth and goes on to lead a band of poor friars preaching the simple life the 13th century saw the rise of a number of monastic orders dedicated to simple living and social engagement This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
1: What looked like cruelty was actually love. This is Wretched Radio, courtesy of one Dr. Heath Lambert, whose wonderful book, The Great Love of God, recounts the story of Lazarus dying, Jesus delaying, because, quote, he loved them, which should cause us to be reading this story with anticipation. Because Jesus loved them, he timed his appearance. Ooh, what's he gonna do? Well, he does something that could have been seen as a cruelty. He yelled into a tomb to a dead man to come out. Now, remember, these people are mourning, they're weeping, they're wailing, they're throwing dirt in the air, sackcloth ashes, they're miserable. This man has been dead for four days and Jesus yells, come out. How cruel. What's he doing? This is is a funeral we're attending here. Why would he say something so insensitive? But you and I know exactly why. Let me turn your attention to Heath Lambert's book, The Great Love of God. Seconds after Jesus cried out his astonishing command, death bowed in submission to its Lord and Master, and broke its hold on the one it had engulfed in its clutches. In spite of themselves, Lazarus's dead ears heard the voice of their lord and king. Lazarus's lifeless corpse obeyed the master of the universe and rose from the slab, despite the instincts of every dead body in history. The tragedy was reversed. Lazarus walked out of the tomb, Can you imagine the gasps, the screams, the shocked looks, the dropped jaws? Can your mind envision the overwhelming wonder as the smell of death vanished and a living Lazarus filled their gaze? Some may have fainted from shock. Others would have dropped to their knees, overcome by the glorious display of power and love. This astonishing moment was the one Jesus had in mind when his love delayed. It was this moment of joy and glory. He was planning the entire time. Jesus' plan was so much better than what the family desired. They couldn't see it, but Jesus knew what he was going to do more than reverse an illness. He was going to reverse the irreversible. He was going to do the absolute impossible. He was going to reverse death. How do you think Mary and Martha felt in that moment? When grief was reversed and converted into profound joy and rejoicing, years later, they would still be tossing their heads back in laughter and astonishment that Lazarus' life had been restored after it ended. For the rest of their lives, they would have told the story of the overwhelming display of love and glory that they had experienced in the hour of deepest darkest Darkness. And now these siblings have lived in heaven with Jesus for over 2,000 years. This is certainly a debatable theology, but I think we get the point and can grant the liberty. They've seen their story used millions of times throughout history to encourage others in pain, to grant faith, to strengthen hope and to change lives as their story of pain leads to grace for more and more people. It happens to people every time the glory of Jesus is recounted in their story of pain, a pain that was excruciating, but worth it. And what was true for them is true for you. Are you wondering where the Lord is? What, what's he waiting for? And the answer is to show you love. And you say, I don't think this is ever going to get sorted. I'm waiting for good health, but I'm deteriorating day by day. Mm -hmm. And he is going to make your body glorified forever. Delaying it, the good health, perhaps until you pass through the door of death but he's going to do it. And the question then becomes, will I trust him and his timing or will I insist on my own? Who knows better for you? This is this is why understanding that because Jesus loved them, because Jesus loved you, his timing, it is indeed impeccable. We want it. It, it it's, it's, it, we, 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 We really think it would be better to be pain-free, to have more money, to have a best friend, to go on that trip. But Jesus knows better, and we learn that from the story of Mary and Martha. Now, is it possible that you won't see something on this side of the doorway that is as spectacular as the experience that Mary and Martha had? Perhaps but here's what Heath Lambert writes. As hard as it will all be, I want to make you a promise that comes from the Bible, the hose whom God loves. The promise comes from Jesus Christ, who promised his with his own mouth that everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Here's the promise. Your losses will never last. They will always give way to infinite gain. Isn't that why James can write, count it all joy, brothers? We We think of suffering as loss. The Bible says we actually gain something, that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what Peter promises to those who are suffering. It tests the genuineness of our faith. It provides rewards when we endure suffering with an attitude that isn't accusatory like the enemies of Jesus Christ. In a world, writes Heath, where everything we have is the gift of a loving giver, there is only one way to know whether we love and trust God or the gifts God gives. The only way is for God to take away some of his gifts. When he takes away his gifts and we curse him, we know it was never him that we loved, but when God takes away his good gifts and we still love him, we know our faith is genuine and that we have life with him forever. And so sometimes he takes away gifts so that we can know that we actually love him. Do you remember how the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead began? It, wasn't from 2,000 years ago. It was from just a couple of years ago. In Florida, do you recall, it was a gorgeous sunny day. Heath Lambert's daughter playing in the backyard with a bunch of kids comes running toward him, and he screams at them. Back to our book. That day, as she ran toward me in my neighbor's yard, I made her cry with a stern rebuke and a face filled with anger and urgency. She was running at me with great joy and the full expectation I would receive her in my loving embrace. Instead, I screamed loudly and aggressively for her to go away. Her heart was broken by my harshness. And you are probably concerned. Why would a loving father behave with such cruelty? What my daughter did not see and what I did not share with you, writes Heath Lambert, is that there was a very large water moccasin "'jumping and hissing in the grass between me and my daughter. "'This deadly, poisonous snake had only one path of escape "'directly toward my daughter. "'With no time to explain, "'and knowing she might not recognize the danger of this vicious snake, "'I shouted at her to go away. "'Seconds after she cleared the scene, "'my friend tossed me a shovel, "'and he disposed of the snake.' I knew what she didn't, that if my daughter had come just a few feet closer, she would have been bitten and killed. My harsh behavior that day was motivated by love, even though my little girl could not immediately see it. Once she understood, she was actually grateful for the tough love that I had shown her in that moment. And if we only understood all that he did on our behalf and for our good, we would never question his heart. We would never ask why, like an enemy, Jesus wept at the death of his friend. Does he enjoy your suffering? Nope. Does he take delight in it? No, of course not. Jesus wept, but he's also working in it to do something better than we ever imagined for ourselves. And if you're waiting, longing, perhaps growing weary, please forget the story about Heath Lambert and his daughter perhaps, but remember the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus that Jesus delayed because he loved them and you have his promise. He's doing something better in your delayed gratification, in your painful suffering, your longing, and your languishing than you and I would ever imagine for ourselves. What are you waiting for? Until tomorrow, go serve your kingdom.